Hello, this is Jeffrey Wu from the Human Enhancement Podcast, and I'm really excited to have Dr. Molly Maloof with me on this program today. So we've crossed paths multiple times in different media reports, and more recently in different conference and panel events talking about human performance and, and biohacking. And I think Molly has a really interesting story because she's not only an MD with a practice, uh, a concierge practice working with some of the top executives and entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, she's also an active advisor to a number of interesting human performance startups in, in, in the Bay Area, and I think also globally, um, and recently uh, came on board running medical and, and science for Sano Intelligence, which is a cool continuous glucose monitoring startup that I've been tracking for the last uh, year, couple of years. So excited to have you on the program. Well, thank you. Um, so this is our first, I think, in-person podcast for 2018. No so way. A great one to kick this year off. <laughs> cool. Um, so how did you get into space? I think it's always great to zoom back and, and get your personal story. I mean, sure. I think what is intriguing about your background is, yeah, I, I think I've talked to a lot of doctors on this program mm -hmm. and also a lot of interesting tech entrepreneurs. But I think having both of those skill sets in one person is quite unique. Oh, thank you. Um, I guess it kind of goes pretty far back into my childhood where my dad was always obsessed with technology. And so where I grew up, we always had to have like the newest, latest, greatest stuff um, in the middle of the Midwest. And by the time I hit eighth grade, I was, um, I mean, I was like pretty acutely aware that like my body was changing by then. <laughs> and okay. <laughs> remember, I remember starting to read magazines and I started reading popular science and I started wondering, um, you know, all about my biology. And I read about, um, fighter pilots taking modafinil in the army. And this was before, like it was a prescription drug. This was like a you know, like a substance that the government was giving people right. to avoid having to sleep. And I thought that was the coolest thing that you could take something <laughs> and not have to sleep and you could just work. Cause I mean, I was a pretty, you know, rambunctious young person and I started taking supplements in high school. Um, kind of just trying to figure out what was going on with my body, trying to see if I could do, you, you were know, going to the store and like, I was going to the store, the okay. health food store and buying supplements. Okay, I'm like, cool. Taking things I probably shouldn't have taken, like ephedra. Okay. <laughs> At one point, I was taking that, and I remember... Which is now banned. It's banned. Yes. Um, I remember sitting in class being like, I feel like my arms are floating. <laughs> So maybe not the smartest thing in the world to do at the time, but I've, I've always been interested in performance and, and, you know, doing, I was in like, I was one of those students who was like in every varsity, like in two varsity sports in student government on the Dean's list and like all these clubs. And I just like wanted to always be doing things and it's hard to do that. And so for a lot of my life, I went through these phases of, um, just like working really, really hard and then burning out and you know, fortunately I've gotten to like my thirties and I finally have, I think balance <laughs> sort of, Figuring but it out, you know, I think I figured a lot of it out yeah. by now. Um, not everything by, by any means. I mean, I, that, that's the thing about biohacking and health optimization is there's no destination. It's like your, your body's going to change throughout your life. And so you're going to have to try to mitigate some of the problems that come along with being human. Right. And, um, and so my practice kind of evolved out of, a desire for there to be this, you know, concept of perfect world medicine. Like what if you could be the kind of doctor that you used to have where you could spend as much time as you wanted with patients and you could really get to know them and really understand their bodies. And then taking it to a step further, um, thinking about like, what if a doctor could really make you healthier? So that was my practice. That was how my practice evolved. And then, um, you know, building a practice from scratch is kind of expensive. So I started consulting with startups at the same time as I was building this practice. Right. And 
Um, I worked for a company that did personalized medical research. And then from there, I started working with a company called 3Scan. And then word of mouth comes around. I mean, San Francisco is not that big. Right. But I, I jumped into the tech scene because I saw that medicine was going to be transformed by technology. And I was sitting in my residency at the time, like hating my job, hating my life, <laughs> and feeling like um, I wanted to innovate medicine. And my attendings were like, Great, you want to do that? You've got 20 years of winning in line before you have enough autonomy and authority to do so. Right. And I was just like, that's not good no, enough right. at all. So I was fortunate to um, to meet some amazing doctors in, in Silicon Valley who I could model my practice after, who were, were optimizing health. And um, I also worked with other doctors who were developing expert systems for wellness. And these experiences were like my extended residency, essentially. And, you know, now I have like what I consider to be a pretty great life because I kind of get to do what I want. And right. I have some, so, I mean, I have, I think I respect in our community of people who, who know, um, what I do, but I'm by no means in the mainstream. Right. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I think most doctors would agree with hundred percent what you just said, but I think it seems like the institutional framework of how medicine is reimbursed by insurers yeah. and payers and all this stuff, people can't practice in a way that I think what you're saying, which is like, you want to get to know the patient or know your mm -hmm. your client or your, your, like really just like you're coaching someone through their life transitions. Right. And now, and I think you talk to people in inside hospital systems, it's like 15 minutes max, you're turning your patients in and out it's and, and writing a script. It's a coding system that is designed to treat and prevent, well, sometimes prevent, right. but mostly treat disease. Right. Right. And so it's, the system's not just, it's just not designed to do what I do, but that's why I believe the technology space is so important because we're creating a second system of con a consumerization of medicine right. and, and a like market of health. Right. Like there's this concept of, um, you know, people have always thought about like alternative and complementary medicine, but right. a lot of this is becoming like truly um more mainstream and yeah what would you acceptable. say to the skeptics like okay like if it's not inside the hospital system it's bs um, it's it takes it's, 17 it's years to get from the bench to the bedside so if it's in the hospital system it's old medicine so if it's in the hospital system it's like like frankly a lot of what really works in medicine is military medicine it's the stuff that we have learned from the battlefield right that like turns out saves lives but if you're traumatized and you're broken they will fix you but like chronic disease, I mean, we're still teaching medical students calories in, calories out. Turns out the body is not a closed system. Right. <laughs> and we're still teaching students um, that like, if you look at the American Diabetes Association recommendations for food, it's like eat as many whole grains as you want. And right. you go to the grocery store and you see whole grains on tricks, right. you know, <laughs> like, right. like there's a problem with what we're telling people about health in the mainstream medicine right. world because it's old, right. it's old science. So the problem yeah, how is how many hours of nutrition lectures did you get? I mean, I think I was talking to some other doctors, and it's like we got like two lectures. They in were nutrition. they were not accurate, and right. they were very min minimal. And right. I actually complained and said, um, "Look, like this calories in, calories out stuff is is not true. Like, there's this great book that just came out called Good Calories Get Bad Cal Bad Calories, and it was all about how." You know, certain carbohydrates like refined sh sugars and refined carbs spike insulin and that right. can contribute to obesity. And that's, you know, that's important to know. Right. And they were just like, they just shook their head at me. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to do something about this. So I actually there's no actual response. It's just like, no, well, I, I actually designed a course okay. for, med for medical students called Physician Heal Thyself, Evidence Based Lifestyle. And it was all about 
all these things that we weren't being taught. Food as medicine, exercise as medicine, sleep is medicine, healthy relationships is medicine, just like toxic relationships is like Poison. poisonous, yeah. you know? Interesting. So is that being implemented in, in different universities or how is that rolling out right now? Um, the only thing I know about medical uh, education right now comes from medical students that I'm watching on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> so like there's, I actually am not super connected to the medical education sphere anymore because I just am so busy, but I do see a younger generation of doctors that are starting to emerge and starting to recognize that like they want to be a part of this movement. And there are organizations like the Institute of Functional Medicine and the Institute of Integrative Medicine. And um, there's a few others that like are, you know, making some movements in the space yeah. and that doctors are, I mean, there's actually, I have a few colleagues that um, they knew going into medicine that they were not, they were only going to do a year of their residency to get their license and they were going to fun practice functional medicine. Hmm. And so one of them has a chain of clinics called Parsley Health. Her name is Dr. Robin Burson. Another one is Dr. Stephanie Daniels, who works in um, South Bay and she's amazing. And like these, there, there are, there is now a new path to practicing the way that you want to practice, but it's not, um, it's it's a small number compared to right. the masses. I mean, it seems like to me, as a observer that's interested in the space, um, that there's definitely like a decentralization of almost every single industry, right? Like you see cryptocurrencies, finance, and I think you start seeing that with biology, with yeah. biohacking. More and more consumers or listeners are probably empowering themselves with information, listening to this podcast, reading about uh, the latest science and the latest research coming out of the clinic, uh, what mm -hmm. supplements, what interventions, what devices they could be tinkering with, yeah. and like arming themselves. So when they come and see a doctor like yourself, it's a more of an educated conversation rather than like, okay, tell me doctor what I should do for the next year, right. for the next 15 minutes. Oh yeah. A lot of my patients come to me with spreadsheets yeah. of like all the supplements they're taking <laughs> and it's, it's a lot, but yeah. they're like, I don't want to manage this all the time. Right. <laughs> but then also, um, I like what you said about, um, people, people really educating themselves. Yeah. What I, do you see in your practice? I mean, I think the biohacking movement that frankly, uh, Tim Ferriss was a big part of starting yeah. and like Dave Asprey and, and frankly, there's doctors who came before, there's people who came before them who right. were part of this. But this is a, like, I think this is a reaction to the system not serving people's desires for better health, right? And so people are having to do it themselves. Right. So there's like, you know, that website Self-Hacked, Joe Cullen has. Right. Um, I've got friends at this company called Neurohacker. I mean, like, there's a, it's not just, it's not just a few figureheads. There's a yeah. lot of people that yeah. are doing this now because- you can't go to a doctor that there's not, there's not enough doctors who do what I do. And the ones that do do what I do, frankly, like we are, we are all mostly very expensive. Right. So people want to, especially young, smart, bright people, they want to save money. They want to spend their money on the supplements and experiment. And I like, I mean, I'm a big believer in self-experimentation. I mean, frankly, a lot of what you see in modern medicine is doctors experimenting on you. Right. right? They're like, well, that satin didn't work. Let's try this one. Right. <laughs> Those are clinical trials, right? It's just like placebo versus some intervention. Let's see if it works. Well, gosh, I mean, some of these clinical trials, I actually have friends in biotech and, um, you know, I do want to believe that like there are, I do know that there are good scientists out there that are doing good science, but there are also a lot of people that are very carefully designing these studies to get the outcomes that they want. Right. And they've told me how they do this. What they do is they start with the endpoint that they want to, send to show the FDA because the FDA only really cares about endpoints. Right. And then they design the study so that they get a certain number of people with this type of presentation into the study so that they know they're going to get this effect size. Right. And 
basically what you do is you have a doctor, a bunch of doctors who are recruiting for the same disease, and then you pick the patients from the people mm. that they've recruited. Right. Like, that happens. <laughs> so a lot of these drugs, when they come out, they've only been tested on these small populations of people oh, that the they know perfect, they're going to work. perfect, patients. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And then they give them to everyone, and we wonder why there's so many side effects. Right. You know? And yeah. not say Biotech's all bad, because, like, frankly... There are, I mean, I've had patients who've had really, really important benefits from certain drugs that are changed, that have like saved their lives. But I do think that it's important to realize that like, you're going to be unique and no matter what you put in your body, it's, it's your own experiment. Right. Yeah. I think people, I, I, it's funny to me because I think it's a a drug is a chemical that you're putting to your mouth. Food is a chemical you're putting to your Mm -hmm. mouth. I mean, these are, there's, there's no magic distinction between, okay, this is like an FDA drug this is magic going to work for everyone versus like a food. I, I think there, I think biology is complicated enough to realize that yes, your purse, like there's a cascading network effect. Your biology is different from mine. We're going to respond differently to different interventions. Mm-hmm. How do you actually personalize? So like, I, I'm curious, how do you apply that personalization to your practice then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I've kind of des- developed like a system, I guess you could say around this cycle, because you go through these cycles of experimentation, yeah. right? And it starts with, really analyzing a person's goals of, for, for their health. Because everyone's going to have their unique, you know, outcome that they want to achieve. Right. And then... Um, what are the most popular? Um, it depends what, on living, if you're a man or a woman. If you're a man or a woman. Living longer, better skin. Um, what are the differences between men and women? So women... So my... A lot of men want performance. Okay. They want um, stress. They want to be... They want to be able to adapt to stress. They know they're going to put their bodies under stress. Okay. So they're just... They like want to be... athletic performance. Yeah, they want okay. athletic... But they also... A lot of people want work performance and brain performance. Okay. I mean, especially a lot of engineers who don't work out. They okay. want their brains to work. That's all they care about. Um, and then... Um, and then there are some there are some athletic goals people want to achieve, but um, and then like you know depending on an individual's health problems, cause everyone's going to have a certain number of health issues. Yeah. Um, some I mean, kind of, it's kind of unavoidable in, in this country to like not have something slightly wrong. But um, so you know hormonal imbalances are are common in men as well. Um, so and then for women, a lot of it is I mean if you look at just look at Instagram, it's beauty, it's energy, fertility. Um, and skin. I mean, it's a, a lot more about aesthetics and appearance. But then there are also, you know, the bodybuilder men that want the aesthetics, right? right. So, um, you know, and then gut health is, is something that everybody's trying to fix. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So okay. That, so that's interesting. There's, so there's yeah. the goals. Yes. And then, um, and then what I do is I, I figured with. Um, like part of the, part of a job of a good consultant is asking the right questions. So part of the job of a good doctor is asking like. Uh, to me, everything you can ask a person. So I ask both the traditional medical history questions that analyze what could be wrong in the sense of like modern disease. And then I also ask um, a series, I have a bunch of questionnaires around lifestyle and environment. So I've got sleep questionnaires, I've got psychosocial questionnaires, I've got executive function questionnaires, I've got nutrition, digestion, stress, metabolism. And so I'm really looking at all these different layers of a human um, and all of their qualitative descriptions of what's going on. Yeah. And then you're going to look at the quantitative. So you're looking at the labs, you're looking at the genetics, you're looking at the nutrition uh, analysis, like the NutriVal from Genova. Yeah. You're looking at the microbiome. Now we have companies like Viome that give us the microvirome. You're looking at, um, you know, the micro, micro, the my, what is it? The, you're kind of looking at like essentially all the organisms that are growing in a person's body. And then, um, hormones are important and clinical chemistry markers, markers of methylation, 
um, and some immune markers as well. So, you know, there's, there's probably more that I'm not, I'm leaving out, but there's a lot I of mean, tests. basic lipids, right? Lipids, yeah. cortisol testing. Right. Um, and yeah, so if someone has a, has a, like a family history of heart disease, right. we'll do more heart disease testing. Right. I basically will tailor their lab panels to whatever they're predisposed for and whatever right. I see in their medical history. And then from that, we start layering the data, right? So you see the genetics, you see the predispositions to certain things, and then you see the you see the like the actual expression of that in the laboratory tests, and then you see what what are they complaining of, and then you start trying to see some pattern recognition, right? Um, and then from there, we we go into you know the basics of optimizing health. So the the simple things, it's kind of, kind of I always tell tell people, it's like how do you grow a human? Well, you have to have light, you have to have water, you have to have air, you have to have food, but you have to have the right amounts for everyone, right? Yeah. And um, so, like, I'm looking at a person's home. I'm making sure they've got home water purifiers, air purifiers. I'm making sure that they're getting enough fluids throughout the day. I'm making sure that they're not drinking too much alcohol. Just the basics right. initially because you just have to, like, if those aren't being covered, it's like everything else is, like, detailing, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then really looking at the nutrition from the lens of what what do we need to add? What do we need to take away? Um, what's going on with their meal timing? You know, there's so much to discuss around circadian rhythms and, um, you know, it really, and, and, and a lot of, when I think about food, I think about a person's, um, current life and current settings and current stress levels. Right. Right. So like, I may not recommend a ton of fasting to somebody who's like totally screwed up their adrenal act, the hypothalamic right. They're underweight already. Right. They're underweight. They're right. undernourished. Like they may not be the best person yeah. for the job. Don't fast right? if you're underweight. Yeah. You know? Or like if you're exceptionally stressed out, why would I send you to CrossFit? You right. know, which is gonna spike your cortisol even more. Right. So it's always about figuring out what can we do to get this person into a bit more balance. Um, and then sometimes it's, you know, hiring um, you know, trainers to work with them. It's also looking at me, sleep is really key. So it's a lot of the basic stuff that you have to deal with first. And then you get into things like the hormones. You get into the gut gut health is really next. Gut right. health is like if your gut is not functioning, then you're gonna have disease. So you have to optimize the gut. And then you have to look at a person's um, hormones and you have to basically see, you know, what is their blood sugar like? What is their thyroid like? What is their, um, what are their sex hormones looking like? And all of these are intertwined with blood sugar. And so like if your blood sugar is abnormal, then all your hormones are going to be off. Right. So so I use continuous blood glucose monitoring for people. Cool. So that people can Which ties into Sano as well. Which ties to Sano. I'm actually wearing one right now. Me too. <laughs> Freestyle Libres, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and you know, I can go into more, but then there's like detoxification and then there's mitochondrial health and then there's immune system health. So it's really just like, there's a lot of these things you can't address until you've addressed the, the first right. things for, first and foremost. Yeah, it's interesting that blood sugar that you've seen as a key indicator for so many downstream diseases. So that was the one thing that I got out of all this for doing all this, like doing all this studies on all these people for the last five years. I just came down to one thing. I was like, what can I do to scale what I do to the masses? Right. And I was like, blood sugar is like the ultimate lifestyle biomarker. Right. It, reflect, it reflects your stress levels. It reflects if you don't sleep well because you tend to eat more carbs. Right. It reflects your exercise. I mean, you, cortisol you, release elevates cortisol is glucose. Cortisol huge. Yeah. I mean, like, so I, I've, I've been wearing this pretty much off and on for about a year now. Yeah. And I can see in my patterns when I was most stressed out. I can literally see the months where I was moving and I was like super stressed out and I, I mean, I felt like garbage those months, but yeah. to see it, it was a lot, it's, like, it's like the stock market of your bloodstream. <laughs> it's like you know when things are going well and you know yeah. when they're not. Yeah, and it's interesting that, I mean, I think if you look at just the disease charts, 
um, diabetes, prediabetes affects a third of Americans. And half of people with prediabetes don't even know that they have it. Right. And that's the big thing around sano intelligence is like, we're not going to diagnose and treat disease, but right. we are going to show people what's going on inside their body right. so that they might be able to be doing, they might be more inclined to do something about it. And maybe that one thing that they do is they go to their doctor or sometimes when patients go to doctors and they say they have prediabetes, the doctors are like, great, what are you going to do about it? Like, yeah. and the patient's like, what are you, you're supposed to tell me. Right. <laughs> and I've had patients who've come to me because they're like, I'm pre-diabetic. I don't know what to do. Right. And so it turns out that like you look at their diets and some people have really healthy diets and are pre-diabetic. Hmm. comes down to the stress piece. Right. And so then you're like, well, where's your stress coming from? And then you can start triangulating it by like, like this actually can help detect like what's stressing you out. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you're applying it in in in, in, in your practice for non like like type ones, right? Like you originally glucose monitors mm-hmm. were designed for type ones, and right. now it sounds like it's almost like a ubiquitous tool that you almost recommend yeah, to all on, your patients. Yeah, I put on everyone. I yeah, mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think know? that's the future because I think when I look at it, it's like okay, we have our dashboards for a computer, for our cars, we have. You have stock tickers that track right. our, our, our money portfolio. Yeah. Why don't we have any sensors that tell us real-time data on ourselves? Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, what you respond to crit- critics who say, you know, uh, that's too much information for the end user. Is that is that a question that ever comes up? Because I've had a couple conversations with reporters or <sighs> skeptics who are like, you know, or, or some doctors who are more old school. You know, like, you know that, there's a lot of information. Yeah. That, but there's a definitely a lot of information. But, like... Part of what we're doing at Sano is we're making meaning of that signal so that you don't have to do it yourself. And like our our vision is that we're gonna have so much data from so many people that eventually we'll be able to find out things and be able to give you insights without even knowing you. Yeah. Like that's the dream, right? Is that we can actually predict what's going on and give you really actionable information yeah. um, without actually seeing you. Yeah. Like to me, that's like the ultimate goal of like scaling my brain. I'm like, right. what if I can put this into an app and then help like millions of people? How great would that be? <laughs> so, I mean, whether or not we do it is it's going to be hard. I mean, it is hard. Like, I mean, I just went through all these different accuracy numbers of all these different devices. Right. And like, turns out the Abbott is like, you know, it's like 12 to 15% inaccurate. Right. And right. I started checking it with, with a with um, finger pricks. Finger prick. Yeah. And I got started, I started feeling really, really confused because I was just like, whoa, like, so, it's amazing I've gotten so much value out of this, given that it's not perfect. Right. And that's the thing that people are going to I think it's quite directionally correct. Yeah. But it's like, yes, like, are, are you 100 or like 95 or mm-hmm. 90? It's like, eh. It definitely will yeah. detect patterns. Yes. And that's, I think, the big key with this. is right. like, what is what is the overall pattern telling you? Right. And overall, if I see a person's fasting glucose is like pretty high every day, even if it's not a perfect number, I know that they need to do something. Yeah. Um, if I see their postprandial glucose is consistently pretty high, right. it may not be exactly as high as they say it is, but like that, that is an alert that we need to think about what, what, what you're eating. Right. And I've, I've just seen it change with people's lifestyle changing. Yeah. So it's like, it can be done. Yeah. And I think that's like why I got, I think I got initially got connected with Ashwin, the CEO mm-hmm. of Sano, I think cause you know, we were experimenting with continuous glucose monitors with our different fasting protocols. And yes, yeah. like you can materially see your fasting blood glucose drop over time. That's, I think, that's I mean, awesome. you guys have awesome news recently, right? Like Fitbit came in as a, yeah. an investor. Totally. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, yeah, I mean, what are the, you know, beyond like that news, like what are the big things we can expect from the company? Um, I mean, I surely have a chat with Ashwin about like what I can talk about. (laughs) (laughs) So some things are are, are secret Um, in the pipeline then. You know, there's, well, first of all, like, well, can you, I mean, for the the listeners out there, like what, what what is a high level value prop of Sano? 
so, just to make sure that we're all on the so same So we page. have continuous glucose monitors right now. Yes. But turns out that if you're not a diabetic, it's actually pretty hard to get one. Yes. In fact, you have to go around the system, which is basically the definition of biohacking, right. in order to get what you want. Right. And um, I can order these in bulk you because a I'm a doctor. Yes. But if you want to do this for, for optimizing your health, you don't have that option. So I either go to a doctor like yourself. You have to go to a doctor and, and be then, like, I have, I, I'm curious or I have prediabetes. Right. And, and want to monitor this. And that's the thing. Like, your insurance isn't going to cover right. it. And even if you have diabetes, your insurance might not cover it. So that's, <laughs> the, that's, that's the crazy thing about this world of medicine is like, you have to be pretty brittle diabetic or complain a lot to your insurance company to get what you want and to get well, what you need. Yeah. And they are pretty expensive. So the core value proposition is that we will have something ideally direct to consumer off the shelf that you can just pick up, put on, yeah. download the app, start tracking. Yeah. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be different than, than the clinical grade tools because we are developing a life. I mean, it's really a lifestyle tool, right. um, because of the FDA. Um, and you know, we can't, we can't diagnose and treat disease and we can't use this, um, technically in a clinical setting, but I wouldn't, I mean, like, frankly, if I had diabetes, I would still be finger, finger pricking to, to verify the numbers right. just because, you know, if you're, if you're dosing insulin and, and, car and for carbohydrates, like you want to be ac as accurate as possible. Right. So it's more, for me, it's, it's, um, there's, there's a few value propositions first to the individual, just being able to get access to something that typically is hard to get from right. your doctor is great. Um, second of all, it's, um, there's a lot of experimentation you can do with your body, and this can be a tool for helping you validate those right. experiments right. and see the results of these experiments, right. right? And then there's also this, I'm sure you heard of this cell paper that came out of, uh, maybe a year or two ago, all about how... Different insulin we, responses uh, yeah, to different we, foods. Different glucose yeah. responses to different yeah. foods. If yeah. we all ate the same thing, we might all have different yeah. reactions, yeah. right? And so because of that knowledge that we have now, um, we need a tool that can enable people to see that what's right for you isn't right for me. Right. You know, like I eat a bunch of like, so beans for, are a great example. I really like beans, but they are, and they're like a longevity food. Every blue zone diet has them, but beans have lectins and lectins can, can actually activate your immune system. So for me who has celiac, if I eat lectins, I actually feel really, really not great hmm. for like a little while. Um, Partially because it's 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 I'm 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 just predisposed to autoimmunity, right? Anyone who has celiac is more likely to develop more autoimmunity. So like I have to be I eat a pretty strict autoimmune paleo diet, which is very similar to the Walls protocol. Essentially, it's lots of um, it's basically lots of vegetables, healthy meats, some starchy vegetables, fruits, but very careful, like berries mostly. Right. Um, and some nuts and seeds and some eggs occasionally. I'm debating on those right now, <laughs> but um, it's a pretty rigid diet, right? right? And, um, if I eat grains and I eat beans, like, even though these are like what are cornerstone foods for most of the country, like my body totally changes. Mm -hmm. Like I, I gain water weight like crazy overnight if it's inflammation and it's my body's reacting to it. So there's also this like big question around what do we don't, what, what do we, what do we not know about how food affects us individually in, 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 at scale? And what can we use to test this? Right? Like there's not that many tools right now that exist that enable you to get this data. And once we get data on millions of people, we should be able to apply some machine learning and artificial intelligence and start really figuring Optimizing. out what's going on yeah. with the individual and figuring out how do we reverse prediabetes 
right. and diabetes. Right. Right. Like how do we get a person? Cause like the doctors will tell you it's not reversible, but there's plenty of doctors out there who can reverse this. Right. And another thing I want to mention. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think you see early success with like Verda health, which is a app so that's coaching people. They have some diet. success, but they have a bunch of failures that no one talks about. Sure. I'm Here's curious. The, yeah. What's, what, what is, is your take on thing. it? Okay. So I spent the whole last year of trying to figure out, do we tell people to cut carbs? Do we tell people not to cut carbs? Right. Like every, all the, there's a plenty of people who believe that like, um, there's a doctor who actually recommends starch for diabetes, right? Like a high starch diet, low fat diet. Yeah. I think I've seen that. There's yeah. literally doctors who recommend all sorts of things. Yeah. So my, after spending like, um, at the end of last year, not 2006 to 2017, 2016, I spent a lot of 2016 going to nutrition conferences and I went to all these conferences with all these expert doctors. And you've got people like Jason Fung, who's like all fasting. about fasting and yeah. low carb eating, right. ketogenic. And then you've got Dr. Greger and Dr. Katz, who are all about low fat, high carb eating. Yeah. And you're like, these guys are deeply respected in their fields, right. but they're both giving you a very Completely different recommendation. Recommendations. Okay. Yeah. And then you've got the zone diet people who are in the middle. Yeah. And then there's like the Mediterranean, which is a little bit higher carb. And then you've got the Atkins. Right. And like, there's this whole, I just realized there's like a whole spectrum of what works for people. Right. And how do you figure that out? Right. Like you're not gonna be able to go to a doctor like me and spend $5,000 to do an initial workup. Right? Like that's too that's too expensive. So right. maybe we can figure this out through this tool. So I, I experimented with low carb eating last year and found that I felt like garbage. <laughs> I felt really bad when I ate really, really high fat. Turns out that I'm an APOE4 gene. Um, I've got one of them. So I have to be careful with saturated fat intake. And a right. lot of my fat was coming from, you know, animals and butter and things like, you know, coconut oil. So your triglycerides and LDLs were elevated? It was my LDL particle number. Okay. And my overall total cholesterol. My triglycerides were fine. Okay. And my um, hemoglobin A1C was super low, right? Okay. It's at the lowest it is. It's at, so it was pretty low then, but now it's even lower. Um, I, I started eating carbs again, like adding more vegetable carbs back in, eating a lot more vegetable carbs in, in August. And then slowly, but surely my cholesterol, um, normalized and I still eat fat, but I don't eat as much saturated fat at all. And, um, cholesterol normalized. And then I started feeling really, really good, like really good. And then my, um, and then what else? And then my hemoglobin A1C was even lower. Hmm. So now it's 4.7. Okay. Yeah, so it's quite good. I mean, what what 6.5 is like kind of like the mm-hmm. danger zone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I look at anything above like 5.7 is, right. is risky. Right. right. Um, but like there was a point like this time, you're not going to believe this, but this time last year I was like 5.5, 5.6. Okay. So now I'm 4.7. So in a year I've dropped a point and it's, and I did all this experimentation with glucose monitoring yeah. and found that like, for me, I'm just not designed to be like more Atkins, more keto. Right. I'm designed to be a bit more balanced. Yeah. Um, but I have people who do remarkably well on high fat diets. Right. I have people who do remarkably well on low fat diets. Yeah. So it's like, we there's, don't have answers. <laughs> that, well, I think the answer is like the, well, the hypothesis. Well, we there's definitely answers. personalization, we have answers. right? The answer is, is that you, you, test you have to test yourself, but right. why should it take you your whole life to figure this out? Like we should have technology that can do it for us. Yes. Yeah. And I like Biome for that too. I think Biome, if they were to just give you the the reasoning behind why they give these food recommendations, like it would be an even more powerful product. Yeah. But they do a pretty darn good job at letting you know like the kind of macronutrient ratios yeah. you should have and the foods that you should be eating. Yeah. Um, it's 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 kind of like trying to scale functional medicine. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. I think the way I've been thinking about the space is that there are cool companies like Sano that are building out the sensors on the human platform, mm -hmm. right? And we need more and more ubiquitous, cheaper, more available sensors. Yeah. Like these are kind of expensive. They, you know, there's a little bit of a needle, some, a little bit painful, not too bad. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, you know, my understanding is Sano's sensor is... It's a micro needle. It's a micro needle. It's like on the skin. Mm -hmm. doesn't really penetrate like beneath the dermis. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. And, you know, companies like ours, we're building in, like uh, consumables or inputs into the system that can manipulate those numbers. Exactly. So, um, you know, for our ketone ester, our human ketone product, mm -hmm. we oftentimes see, and we were talking a little bit about this before, like before our, you know, going live here is that we see 20, 30% drops in glucose wow. within 30 minutes. And then we see elevations of ketones between uh, three to five millimole in, in that same that, time See, that's frame. so cool. And like, to me, having a tool to help people fast more comfortably yeah like why not yeah. <laughs> you know like we all should be fasting right i personally don't really like the way it feels the first two days of fasting <laughs> i don't want to be around people yeah what does your fasting protocol look like i i can only do it if i'm not around anybody and i have to basically basically like not talk to people and stay by myself for a weekend i'll do it on weekends but okay. like I don't do, I, I don't know how you guys go to work and function. Like <laughs> if I fast at work, I'm just like running late to meetings. And I just, I think, I mean, I, I, I don't have a good answer for this. The only, I have done some reading about fasting in women's bodies being different than men's, but like, it just seems like our brains are wired to be in alert mode when, when we get, we start, when we get like super low blood sugar. And it's, it does seem like anecdotally, like women tend to get hangrier. Um, <laughs> I know I do. Right. So, but the, the thing is like every time I fasted when I like, and I've really worked hard to do it, I remember just feeling amazing, yeah. you know? And so I haven't done it in a while. And, and that's one of my big goals this year is to like really ramp up the fasting. Um, starting with, there was actually a great, great talk I saw on the internet recently by this doctor, I think is Berg. He's like a, he's like a chiropractor, but he's got okay. like tons of videos, like 33 million views of all his videos. Okay. He's crazy, but, um, crazy popular, but he gave a talk on, on how to sort of like gradually transform your meal schedule into more of a fasting schedule right. going from, you know, five meals a day, which a lot of people are eating with snacks to three meals a day to intermittent fasting to two meals a day right. to eventually getting into the actual fast. Right. And then what, you, what can you do to make that slightly easier? Right. So I really like that kind of pattern concept because yeah. it's really hard to change physiology overnight. You can do it. It just won't feel good. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think our mutual friend, Phil Libin, has been pretty public about doing, like, seven-day, multiple-day, long he's a He's a beast, yeah. man. He can do it for, like, a week at a time, and yeah. he does it, like, every other week. Yeah. And I'm just like, he has figured out how to do the social <laughs> thing, which is yeah. interesting. Like, a lot of the problem with fasting is the social component. Because yeah. if you're like me and like you, you get invited to a lot of stuff. And the problem with being invited to a lot of stuff is there's always opportunity to eat. Yeah. And then you start realizing that as a culture, we just we like don't stop eat. eating. Yeah. And that's another thing about, um, so I've been doing all this research on gluc glucose monitoring and how to make meaning out of this information. And I found some studies on hunger biofeedback using glucose monitoring. Huh. So what you do is you basically train your body to only consume food when you're at 80 to 85 blood sugar, which basically means that you it's have to be low. pretty hungry. Right. Yeah. But I've noticed that when I wait for that, like I'm authentically hungry and the food tastes better and it's just better for my metabolism. Right. Um, so I think that that's another big powerful thing is like people need to learn to be hungry again. Maybe yeah. not crazy, super duper hungry all the time. Like I just personally don't function as well at work if I'm not fueled. Sure. But you guys have nailed it. Like you guys have figured it out. Like you guys have, I just know that you do it every week and yeah. I, 
I, I want to figure out how to do it without not wanting to like yeah, I mean, I think, hurt people. <laughs> <laughs> I think for myself, I think it's like, it, it, there's definitely a, a struggle or transition because I think the way I think about it is we've just trained ourselves, as you said, like of, to eat and expect food every mm-hmm. couple hours. And I think our bodies expect that insulin spike, the sugar rush mm-hmm. and the crash. Mm-hmm. And in the first few times you start fasting, you're tr- you're, you're putting your system out of that lurch, right. or, you're, or you're lurching yourself, right? Because you you have a very consistent rhythm of, of mm-hmm. adding glucose. Yeah. So I think it's like it just as much as you've trained over the last 20, 30 years of our lives, mm-hmm. we kind of retrain ourselves out of it. And it's kind of like you're constantly putting food in, but you're not like taking the garbage out regularly, right? right? And like fasting is essentially, you know, we're eating ourselves and we're taking out the garbage, right? right? Where it's, it's autophagy. And yeah. that is powerfully, powerfully therapeutic. Right. And so we all probably should be doing this yeah. as a measure for preventing disease like cancer. Right. And um, in fact, like Dr. Jason Fung, like part of his treatment of diabetes is just intensive fasting regimens for his clients. Yeah. So like the question is, is, um, you know, how do we get these, how do we get the cost of ketones down? Right. Because, like, it's just not affordable right now. Yeah, right now it's pretty expensive. So, yeah, they're, like, around $30 a dose. But we're working with some synth bio companies to bring it down further, right? So it ostensibly can get down to the cost of sugar. It's the core uh, 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 feedstock for the, for, the, for the GMO E. coli are is sugar. Interesting. Right? So we could hopefully, at, at mass volume, get it to a little bit more expensive than sugar, which would be really Whoa. interesting. Whoa. That yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be really powerful because I think that, like, the, the th- I think that if you think about evolutionary biology, the reason why fasting is so difficult is because it does activate stress hormones on purpose. Like your body, when you when you drop a blood sugar to a certain level, you start releasing adrenaline. You start right. um, and you start preparing your body for finding food, right? Right? For like basically making sure that you can take care of yourself, and right. that's an alert, that's kind of an unnatural in, like innate alert mode. Right. Now you guys have harnessed that in a positive way because. For some people, it's like you're getting free Adderall, right? You're getting right. <laughs> you're getting that free dose of catecholamines that's like, okay, now I can like right. focus. Yeah. But some people don't seem to have that same response. Some people seem to respond in a way that's like, I just feel super low energy and like right. I can't focus. And I think that um, like making it more comfortable for people to fast is is huge. Yeah. So like my, one of my working hypotheses there is that perhaps your ketones haven't elevated enough to overcome yeah. that low blood sugar, right? Because yeah. when you're fasting, you're lowering your blood sugar as you're draining your, your glycogen reserves. Right. Your, keto- your endogenous ketosis hasn't kicked in yet. No. So you have low glucose and low ketones, yeah. so you naturally feel crappy. Yeah. Um, so can you bridge it by having like high ketones while you're fasting? It seems, so you, it seems like a great idea. So you kind idea. of skip that medium step. It seems so like that, yeah. a really smart and like an authentic hack that that doesn't seem to have a lot of downsides. We gotta do an experiment when we have more supply. So yeah. we actually like finger prick you and like track your glucose oh my God, on, yes. on, your, on your on your CGM. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll coordinate that. Um, one thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting was circadian rhythms. I th- that's something that talking about like things I want to focus on this year. Mm-hmm. I wanted to focus my eating windows better around circadian rhythms. Yeah. Um, and that often means you know eating your larger meals earlier in the day. Totally. For a lot of my fasts have been focused on eating, you know, later lunches, earlier dinners. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to hear, you know, your thoughts there and, and how have you incorporated or, or in your practice or personally. Uh, well, a lot of my thinking on this has been informed by, again, Dr. Jason Fung, because I read everything he writes. But um, he he basically believes that, and, and there's actually studies that, that have shown that um, basically when you, 
load most of your meals at the beginning of the day, your metabolism just make your metabolism it just functions more um, it, it functions more optimally more it basically is more effective because you're using that fuel right. your body is using the fuel because you're active right right unless you're sedentary like a lot of people are sedentary so can't say and I can't like you're basically screwing destroying your metabolism by being right. sedentary and frankly I I was doing that through a lot of my twenties I mean I worked in front of a computer. That's basically your job as a doctor or as a techie. It's like being in front of a computer. Right. So like we're all, like one of the biggest damage, like one of the biggest things you can do to damage your metabolism is to sit around all day. But also by eating late at night and not using that fuel, your body is going to logically store it. Start loading it up. Yep. So it's like we should probably be using most of our fuel during the daylight hours. Um, it seems like we're designed to do that. Yeah. It seems like if you look at most of the animal kingdom, unless you're a nocturnal animal, um, you're not, you're not active at night. Now, right. there are plenty of people who are night owls, um, but there's a lot of research that shows that if you eat at night, metabolism is impaired. Right. Um, it's just... Like your natural growth hormone uh, uh, release is uh, well, the risk mitigated. Of, yeah. yeah. The risk of cancer in night shift workers is dramatically higher. Yeah, yeah. Um, part of that is because of metabolic derangements. And right. like, there is this argument that cancer is a metabolic disease. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great new books on this and like tripping over the truth. Right. Um, can you summarize that? Can you summarize that argument? I mean, I think it's an interesting sure. debate. I mean, the argument is that basically, I mean, I guess I'll just give you a little anecdote. Yeah. Like I was in residency and working on a pediatric cancer ward and we were feeding all these kids whatever they wanted because they were sick and that's what you do. Right. But I was like, wait, 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 let's think of some first principles here. What does cancer eat? Cancer eats, eats sugar. Glucose. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we feeding them sugar? Why are we for like pouring fuel on a fire? Yeah. And they looked at me like you're trying to hurt the children's feelings, aren't you? And I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to save their lives. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just lost it. I really like. I had a few patients die, and it was just like really hard because I was just like, we're doing everything we can. I mean, like pediatric oncology has an incredible rate of success, but imagine even how much higher it would be if we weren't giving them the fuel that feeds the cancer. Right. So now there's a lot of doctors working with, um, there's actually a doctor and I, there's a great podcast called P5 Protocols. And there's a doctor on the podcast and I can't think of his name, but he's, he wrote a book on um, um, cancer as a, as a metabolic Thomas disease. Thomas Seyfried, Boston? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And he, he basically has a program, I believe it's him, and they're giving people with cancer metformin and even statins in order to modulate the metabolism of a person's body as an adjunct, mm. adjunct treatment to chemo yeah. and radiation. Yeah. And they're finding really good benefits from yeah. this because cancer is like this, you know, organism that grows out of control. Right. Um, and really it's like there, there is this belief that like what the Western way of life does contribute to cancer formation because we're basically flooded with glucose at all times. Right. We don't have a lot. Of, and, and like, I think it was, um, there was this guy who worked with um, the Grateful Dead. He did all their sound, I believe. And I wish I, I'm a really, I really wish I had, um, you know, <laughs> a better memory. But the guy ends up getting throat cancer, and mm. he. There's an article about him in the Rolling Stone, actually, all about this. It's an old article, but he lived for like like 15 or something years with esophageal cancer, which is like one of the most like mortal cancers. Right. Literally eating pureed meat. The guy huh. just went keto, like yeah. hardcore keto. He's yeah. like, I'm going to starve this thing. Yeah. And he did. And he survived for a while. Yeah. Um, so, you know, not that I think that like every cancer can be treated with ketogenic diets. Right. But I do think that a ketogenic diet is a therapeutic diet for somebody who has cancer. Right. I think it's worth 
concerning as a nutritional adjunct to yeah, standard care. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the the way I think about the, the genetic theory of cancer versus the metabolic theory of cancer is that the the, the classic. A hypothesis of why cancer happens is some mutation in the DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that cascades toward like this uncontrollable growth. But the metabolic theory is like, okay, uh, metabolism has some issues. It's generating a lot of free radicals and that mm-hmm. in of itself is mutating the DNA mm-hmm. for uncontrolled growth. Right. So if you can fix the metabolism, perhaps you can well, stem off a lot of the end cancer effects. It could also be both. It could also be you have this two-hit hypothesis. Right. And then you end up with the conditions that enable that cancer to grow, right? right? Like, turns out that a lot of us have um, predispositions to cancer. If you if you just start digging into genetics, yeah. you're going to find that you're predisposed for a lot of things. Sure. Yeah. Like, I have a family history. I don't even need to look at my genetics to know that I'm going to probably be at risk for cancer. My um, mother had colon cancer. I actually convinced her to get a colonoscopy. Mm. And she had stage one, early stage, cut it out, cured. But it turns out that wow. her grandfather... And her great uncle had colon cancer too. So there's probably a genetic component. Even though the doctor said that they, she didn't have a genetic component, I'm like, come on, let's look at our family history. Yeah. Let's just like just look, use our logical brains here. Um, so I'm gonna get a colonoscopy sooner, but I'm also, one of my big goals for this year is to really start limiting red meat and processed meat. Now, bacon is like the most delicious thing in the world, but you know, I'm probably one of those people who shouldn't be eating a lot of it at right. all. And I don't eat a lot of it, but. I think that like the the key is is looking at what you're predisposed for and then trying to design your optimization protocols to mitigate those risks. Right. Assuming and not assuming, but kind of knowing that um, you have these predispositions, but it's the epigenetic programming that right. actually expresses them. Right. You mentioned processed meats. I remember when we were on the panel. Uh, <laughs> We had uh, one of the Soylent <laughs> co-founders there, and you were tearing. Uh, that was like that was I amusing to me. Soylent. sitting next to <laughs> in between you two. Um, I was kind of being a little bit rough. No, on no, him. but I thought it was a, a valid point. I mean, I think we're in the heart of Silicon Valley, where Soylent uh, is, you know, doing quite well, feeding people um, GMO soy, GMO soy, um, and all sorts of weird other additives. Yeah, so I think it's interesting. I think it's worth having that counterpoint in that discussion. Like what. Uh, yeah, why are you so you know viscerally reactive against? Well, first or, of all, I, just, I find it really weird approach. that people are like voluntarily consuming something that traditionally has only been recommended for people who are seriously ill, right? Like right. I have patients with with um with inflammatory bowel diseases, right. and let me tell you that they like they do not really enjoy having to be on elemental diets. It's not good. Okay. So it's interesting that like. Somebody who's a healthy person would choose to eat oily cereal milk as their main source of calories. Like, I think it's, um, I just think it's a symptom of like this misprioritization of, of, um, people's energy throughout the day. Like feeding yourself is like a very important thing you should know how to do as a human adult. But a lot of people have been raised by their parents. They go to college, they eat what's served in the food court. And they never really learn how to take care of themselves. They never really learn how to cook. And we have this gigantic epidemic of chronic disease that is not going to be fixed if we are feeding people oily cereal milk, right? you know, as calories. Like it's right. not, and I mean like, okay, so I called it dead food and it's like, so it's not dead people, it's dead food. <laughs> okay. I said that because it's like, when you, if you like eat, a, eat plants, if you look at plants, like it looks like a living thing, right? Like you want to, most of your diet should be 
plant-based, right? And then there should be some protein. And I do, I mean, like, I'm an omnivore. I eat meat. But, like, I'm moving more and more towards game meat and wild fish as my main sources of protein. Um, Plus, I do some bone broth protein powder because it's the only one that doesn't taste like garbage. Okay. And also, just, I don't react to it. Like, I react to everything, it seems. But um, I just don't really like the idea that people are just drinking this, like, bottled substance straight. And only that. Like... You need to have a. You, you need to actually like think about like the general recommendations to eat a well balanced diet. That's not a well balanced diet. That's like an imbalanced diet. And like when these guys are sitting in front of computers, typing away and like not thinking about their bodies, it's like that's a bigger symptom of like this problem with, with like cult our culture. It's like people are just disassociating from their reality and getting sucked into the digital realm, and that's not healthy either. Right. You know, like we need we all kind of need to like disconnect a bit more. Get out and actually like go to a farmer's market, look at food, decide what feels good, right. and start learning about what your body needs. Right. And like you can't just, I don't know, like I guess you could grow a garden by just pouring miracle Grow on it all the time, but it would probably eventually die if you just pour miracle Grow on it all sure. the time. Yeah. You know? You know, you might want to put some compost in there. Right. I mean, that's like the critique of the modern factory farming system where mm-hmm. there's like a ton of uh, fertilizers, like the the meats are higher, higher in nitrogen because of all the like, yeah. fertilized grain versus like grass-fed beef. Right. And all that discussion. Right. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I think to I, I think if, you know, some of the Swedish people, the fans out there that I know that are, are probably listening, there would be the counterpoint that, you know, they're not... I think the idea has evolved into being, you know, you don't eat something every single day, mm-hmm. all the time. You replace, like, a crappy, I don't know, hamburger instead. I mean, there's definitely a lesser evil, argu- lesser so, evil argument. Yeah. Um, but I think I would redesign the formula. Okay. Like, first of all, it's funny that they use soy and soylent. It makes sense, right? Because <laughs> obviously, what are you going to make it out of if it's not people? Right. But I don't think that people are educated enough about around GMOs and there's so much argument like are GMOs good or GMOs bad right they are not good or bad there are good ones and there are bad ones okay right like just like anything else in the world just like there's meat that's not good there's okay. meat that's that's not bad um there's arguments that people would say all meat is bad but like I'm not gonna say that like fish is actually pretty darn healthy where does it come from that t- that changes it right yeah like factory farm salmon from like an unhealthy farm that pours antibiotics all over it it's not the same kind of salmon as like Alaskan Alaskan okay? wild yeah. Alaskan wild not yeah. the same things right so just like that GMOs um, some of them just happen to be not as good as others like glyphosate is often used in GMO soy production. That has been shown through many MIT research studies. There's a doctor who has like an entire page of just publications on why this is bad for the microbiome. Okay. So I just wouldn't, I'm like, if there's something that's going to disrupt my microbiome, I am not going to consume that. Okay. And like, maybe I... So it's an additive to the soy rather than like a like it's, innate it's the part way of the that GMO. They, they grow the soy in order for it to be Roundup ready, okay. right? So, um, you know, I just think that people like... I'm not a big fan of soy either. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good sub-question. You know, like, We've got a lot of questions there's, around... There's a lot of people who do... estrogen-like effects There's estrogenic effects. Yeah. Um, there's also... Like, fermented soy seems to be better. Yeah. And, like, Japanese cultures that consume a lot of soy tend to do more fermented soy. Right. Um, but, like... Yeah, I'm I'm just not a big fan of, the of like, the, the monoculture crops. Okay. Like, a lot of the corn and all of the soy that's in our food supply is what's making us sick. Yeah. 
There's a great documentary called King Corn, if you haven't seen it. Yeah, no, it's interesting if you look at the history, right? Like, mm-hmm. corn subsidies are a backbone of middle America farmers. I'm from there, by the way. So yeah, I, I mean... lobbied for healthcare reform <laughs> in D.C., and I also lobbied for um, medical students in Springfield, Illinois. I remember standing there with my representatives, having them talk about how new technologies can enable even bit greater yields for corn. Right. Gr- greater numbers of bushels per acre. And I was just like just thinking to myself at the time, even I knew this like 10 years ago, like we're not going to end up being able to feed the world on grains if the world is getting sick Sick on grains. Maybe that's our like ultimate, like existential strategy for destroying the human race. It's just like, we kill ourselves with with food. And then like this less population growth and it's sustainable. I guess that's what we're doing, right? It's just slow. (laughs) Yeah. And painful where like healthcare is not a six of, you know, US GDP. It's insanity. Yeah. It's like a slow, expensive bleed of human civilization. That's the funny thing about like cryptocurrency and and the healthcare system. I started having this understanding recently where like everyone's freaking out like cryptocurrency isn't valuable. It's not worth anything. It's all made up. And I'm like, so much of the healthcare system costs are made up. Like a cost of like a, a syringe to draw blood is like dramatically marked up once you get to the hospital. And then you're billed for that. Like that's money being created. So like. You know, a lot of these valuations from these cryptocurrency, you know, companies, like, yes, they're being, like, totally overblown and right. create, and, and they're being, like, made up as we go. But, like, isn't that all of the money all system? All of culture, <laughs> all of society. Yeah, all of fiat currency. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole different debate. A whole other debate. Yeah. I'm but, curious. I mean, what, you, so you have Sano going, you have your concierge practice going. Yeah. What other exciting things are you working on with your advisories, positions, and all of that? Like, what else is on, on oh, the radar for you for 18? Um, there's a company called um, Biomarker.io. Okay. And I'm a really big fan of them. You guys should know about them. Because what they're doing is they're creating a platform for taking all of this personalized data from all these different streams from our bodies and enabling supplement companies to actually prove their claims. And they're using streams from um, even healthcare records now. Okay. So they've got, an, uh, they've got they're, they're able to like take in records from Epic and Cerner and also wearable technologies and all the API platforms and aggregators. And they're taking all that data and they're saying, you, you have this product that you want to sell, right. but like, turns out clinical studies are really hard and expensive to do. Yeah. Um, we're going to help you prove it. And so we're going to, we're going to use this platform and teach companies to help them, um, find, find, um, real value in their products. Interesting. Is and there I, a consumer offering or is it? I want there to be a consumer offering. Right. I don't know. I mean, you really, when it comes to startups, you always have to kind of follow the money. And unfortunately right. the money is in the companies and not the consumers. However, I think that the supplement space is going to be revolutionized by by personal health technologies. Yeah. And the more that we um, can like actually aggregate all this information and figure out uh, what's working for us, what might work for yeah. us. Like Self-Hacked has this um, you know, genome reader that is a pretty de- that's a pretty decent job of giving you your predispositions to different deficiencies right. and other things. Um, but it's just a start, right? Like we need we actually need to see the supplement space become more personalized. Yeah. And I actually spoke about this like two years ago at the NBJ summit, um, all about why like the next the next big thing in supplements is going to be personalization. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like this company because I think they're going to enable a lot more of that. Hundred percent agree. I mean, there's a huge market. I mean, the, the global market for supplements like fifty billion plus. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a huge industry. Totally. And it's still you know basically based on the same re- legislation and technologies like in, in the seventies essentially. Totally. And it's like okay, we our understanding of how. Supp- you know what supplements you know have signal mm-hmm. what is noise and how do we actually dose it for the right person at the right time right yeah exactly I mean to me they're 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 medicine 
and they just happen to be over the counter, yeah. you know, which I'm all about <laughs> consumerization of everything. Yeah. So I'm just like, make everything available. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what else? What else am I interested in? Um, there's a company that I'm not advising, but I am a big giant fan of called Leaf Therapeutics. And okay. so speaking as someone who you're like such someone such as yourself who likes um, continuous monitoring of everything. Yeah. It's a heart rate variability patch that has an app associated with it. It's that a will, patch. It's a patch. Huh, okay. That you put on your chest. And I've used heart rate variability from like this the company polar. called... Polar. I've used a First Beat, okay. Polar, um, Wahoo. Like, there's okay. all types. I use them to exercise, but, like, this one specifically for heart rate variability. And it's such an important marker. Like, I think glucose and heart rate variability, like, if we had these streams at all times, we'd all be better off. And they're pretty simple. Like, pretty it's not simple. like you need to do crazy blood draws or anything crazy. No. Yeah, these are, like, pretty basic. Yeah, but they're yeah. really useful because yeah. it's, an, it's a real-time stress sensor. Yeah. And so what they're doing is they're designing this platform around um, reducing anxiety. And it can also be done for reducing hypertension. It can also be done for reducing stress. Like, it can be done for improving meditation. Like, HRV has got, like, endless possibilities. Right. But, you know, like, I think Apple does collect it from the from the watch, but I don't think that they've done a great job at, like... Do they surface it? My understanding is that our sensor's not accurate enough to do HRV. I, well, they're but, reminding you to breathe. I don't know. Is that just automatic? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think that they they do have, a, like, rudimentary HRV, but I don't think that they're showing it to you. Okay. Now, it is way more accurate when it's on the chest. Right. So I did this for a few weeks last summer with the Leaf Therapeutics, and it was a really big clunky. But the coolest thing is that it's got haptic feedback. Okay. So when you are getting stressed out, it will alert you, and it will teach you through the pattern to, to use your breath to slow slow right. down right. your emotions and actually right. reduce um, reduce your heart rate and to actually improve your variability. Interesting. So it's like giving you this real-time moment. There was this moment where I left their office. I had it on. I was walking down the street. I had to get this this medication to a patient who lived in San Rafael. So I had to call a lift to like get her the medicine on time. And it was like there was traffic and it was like so much going on. It was Soma. Right. There's like crackheads, you know. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was kind of feeling the stress. Yeah. And I could actually feel it start vibrating. And after I had dropped off the lift, I like started consciously breathing. And before I knew it, I was like back to baseline. And I just thought that was really cool, yeah. like a really cool experience to have where like I literally just got this thing off the show. Like they, they just gave it to and me. And it worked. And right? it worked. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, so like there's another company that's that's the Aura. I think it's Aura Ring? Not the, it was Aura Ring, but then there's another one that is like a, it's like a thing you hold in your hands you meditate with. Huh. That uses um, heart rate variability. So I think heart rate variability is going to experience a big yeah. a big movement in this like next year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of our athlete partners that we work with, they use recovery. that for recovery as a mm-hmm. marker for recovery. How hard they should they train today versus yep. tomorrow? Really, yeah. I mean, that's the, the that's that's huge in fitness. There. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that we all need to recognize too, as we're sort of like um, athletes of the office, right? right? Like we're using we're stressing ourselves out every day, right. but like how you know. How hard should you push your exercise after you've had like a crazy, crazy day at work? Right. You know, like maybe you should be doing yoga this evening instead of CrossFit. I don't know. Interesting. But yeah. there's this idea of like being able to really use these tools to tailor our lifestyle to optimize our health in in real time. Yeah, hundred percent. Anything else? That's. I mean, it sounds like you're coming with a huge gamut here. What other things? I mean, are other sensors. So I mean, this is like a, t- a fairly taboo topic, but like. 
I'm a big believer in psychedelic medicine, okay. and I think that MAPS is actually getting closer and closer to their financial goals. Interesting. That's actually, the MDMA. MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, yeah. as well as psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy yeah. um, in New York and in John Hopkins. So yeah. these, these studies are just getting better and better. And the idea that, like, so there's, like, this idea of wellness being body, mind, and spirit, right? Right. So, like, HRV in a lot of ways is, like, your body and your mind. Like, you're learning really about right. how to manage your emotions, how to manage your, your physical experience. Right. But like there's a spiritual aspect of medicine that just hasn't really been, it's just been so bit taboo for so long. Right. And you know, meditation is great. I'm like a big believer in meditation. Yeah. Meditation has enabled me to like trip on my own neurochemistry. I've been to meditation retreats where I've just been like totally high on my own brain. It's awesome. This is like like a silent retreat or no? A, okay, it's actually like... it's like a specific type of meditation. Okay. It's very obscure, esoteric stuff okay. that like you would not. It's actually discovered. Like the the one I went to is like um, run by a doctor of all things. I'm curious He's about all of this. Doctor. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's like people have very really... strong subjective experience. I mean, there's clearly signal there. Oh yeah. Like meditation, like has like real quantifiable. Yeah. Metrics as well. Yeah. So meditation and psychedelics are like, psychedelics are kind of like, meditation is like, if you're going to take a week or two weeks to go climb a mountain, right? Whereas psychedelic is like, I'm just going to take you in a helicopter right up to the top of that mountain. Right. And, um, and it's just, it's a shortcut. And if you do it in the context of a therapeutic environment, people have experienced like debilitating PTSD being reversed. I've seen patients with, um, I mean, this is something that, that happened last year. But ketamine-assisted um, therapy for depression is it's, like now in clinical offices. Yeah, the data is really good on that. It's just like it's like being yeah. available. It's like available to people. Yeah. So like, um, it's possible that within two years, we will be able to administer legally psychedelics as medicine in a context of um, compassionate use. That'd so be really cool. I just think that like there's a lot of people with trauma in our country, yeah. both from like years of racial discrimination, right? Lots of war, yeah refugees, right. you know, lots of rape. We also know that like, the Me Too movements come out of this like awareness of like a lot yeah. of trauma. Yeah. People are traumatized by human life. Yeah. So if there's ways that we can help with that spiritual realm and healing that trauma and enabling people to actually like like move on, I just think that like it, it's, it's truly transformative and it enables people to like for a lot of people, until they deal with those underlying issues, it's really hard for them to make the behavioral changes that they need to optimize their body. Right. You know, and so I'm just like a big, I just have like a huge hope that the government isn't going to continue to crack down on all this. Yeah, I mean, I think it shouldn't be a taboo. I think we should talk about it. I mean, I think when people are being prescribed antidepressants, SSRIs, I mean, these are potent drugs too. Like every, yeah. as again, everything is like a compound that we're eating. Uh-huh. Why are some just like, ooh, those, those ones are kind of scary. I know. These are just as bad, if not worse for you. Totally. <laughs> like, like, like straight up in terms of like, uh, like mortality usage or LD50s. I mean, some of the drugs that we're just prescribing people are yeah. worse than yeah. psychedelics. Exactly. And I mean, like, that's the thing about SSRIs. Like, yeah. in teenagers, they there's a black box warning that it'll make you more likely to kill yourself because it'll take you just out of depression just enough because it doesn't work very well, but it takes you just out of depression just enough that you have enough energy to shoot yourself. Like, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah. Right? Jeez. Like, we need things that actually fix the problem, the right. underlying issue. Right. And what they do is they enable you to go to that space of, like, pain and fear and actually do it in an environment where you feel pretty good, right? right? You feel pretty great when you're on these right. drugs. And 
the, and they're also a lot safer. Like the stuff that's on the street, the stuff that people are taking. I mean, I tell people like, don't take MDMA if you're buying it off from like a drug dealer. Like it's going to, it's, it's, you don't even know what it is. Right. It's probably something totally different than you right. think. Right. So like, don't do that to yourself, right. you know? Right. But if you had like, imagine if you could go to like a, a, a mental health Fit, mental fitness center right. and see a doctor who could literally help you train your brain for better mental, better right. mental fitness. Like, um, another big thing that I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested in, just, um, I don't know if you're interested in this at all, but neurofeedback is something that I'm going to start doing this okay. year. Yeah. Cause I think that like, I think that one of the problems with our culture, especially in tech is like, there's literally shiny objects everywhere. Yeah. And we become so trained to seek dopamine yeah. that we forget, we actually forget to be able to focus on, on demand when we need to. So I've just heard that like neurofeedback is like really great for ADD. Interesting. And I don't take any stimulants, but I'm, um, I take supplements, but I don't take any like hardcore stimulants, but I have been told that like, it's really helpful for that. And then I know companies, there's a few companies that are actually trying to make more commercially available. Um, like I can't think of the name of this company cause I just heard about them at a, at a startup event. Are they event. like EEG headsets yeah. that help you do neurofeedback? Yeah. Neurofeedback okay. for, for specific use cases. Okay. I've seen a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I mean, it seems to be a popular threat, actually. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, just a sense that, you know, tech companies are, have addicted us to their services with dopamine. Hits. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's dopamine, dopamine. And now we have yeah. cryptocurrency. And then it's like everyone's day trading now, yeah. right? So yeah. we're all checking GDAX and Binance. And everyone's like <laughs> playing. Everyone's gambling every day on that. Like, yeah. that's part of why cryptocurrency, I think, is so popular. Is yeah. Because... Of the of that, I'm I'm reading a great book actually right now. Two books. One of them is called um, "The Hour Between the Dog and Wolf." Yeah, and it's all about the biology of traders, right? And all about the hormone hormonal impacts and and the impacts of different neurochemistry cocktails on like large scale trends in the economic system based right. on people's biology. Right. Um, and then there's also a great book that I'm reading. Uh, there's another one called The Psychology of Risk, and it's all right. about psychology of trading because I think that, like, we probably are in a bubble right now, and there's this, like, this mass hysteria that everything is awesome. I right. mean, I hope it's not a bubble because I, like, would like to believe that the future is all about decentralized money right. systems. But, um, but, like, I'm really interested in, in just, like, how biology affects every day and how right. biology affects cultures and how right. biology, biology affects like populations, especially right. populations of people acting in sync around certain right. topics. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember reading some early data around, you know, testosterone and male yeah. traders being very, very correlated to like the decisions that are making. Oh, totally. Right. Like higher risk tolerances, like bigger bets. I mean, it's just I interesting. I have a great story for you. Yeah. So I had a client who, fascinating client who developed this really weird, um, adrenal disorder out of the blue in his fifties. He, he was like a high functioning, normal guy. His doctors all said, you just have anxiety. He's like, I've been on expeditions like to multiple continents in like sub zero temperatures. And I was the chillest person at those events. So like, I'm not an anxious person. Right. And so he ends up having these like, um, these issues and turns out that he has this, we, we discovered together, um, that he had this genetic disorder that actually forced him to develop um, hyper testosterone hmm. levels, hi, hi, like instead of hypogonadism, it's hypergonadism. Okay. Um, so like he legitimately had like higher testosterone than a normal right. person, but he also had extremely low cortisol. Okay. So he was literally like the perfect combination <laughs> of a, an investor. Right. So he literally took gigantic risks with no fear. Yeah. And, it, and it, luckily he was very intelligent right. and he ended up like, 
he ended up shorting a, 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 a European government at one point and making a ridiculous sum of money. Right. But the funny thing was, is like it was his biology that predisposed him to this. Unfortunately, later on in life, it started um, going Backfiring. haywire. Yeah. And his adrenals started um, overproducing certain chemicals and he ended up with malignant hypertension. Okay. So I don't want to get too into details because of HIPAA, but fundamentally it was like, by, by learning all about this himself, he, he like understood his entire life. Yeah. So I think that there's so much about biohacking that's like, it's about self-discovery. Right. It's actually about understanding why you're unique. And like, now that he's on a certain cocktail of medicines, like his hypertension's gone. But like, he went to the best specialist in the whole world. And no idea nobody could figure it out. And I just happened to find this weird genetic defect that is like now being published. <laughs> there's actually cool. an expert doctor yeah. who's publishing it with him because I didn't want to write the paper. Yeah. But <laughs> That's cool. I mean, I think it's a, it's, you know? it's a cool... I mean, it's, it's just cool to realize that, you know, maybe if you're really good at trading, maybe it is like, okay, how do we, how can you, if you don't have that, you know, lucky factor of genetic, I guess, characteristics, how do you manipulate your body and exactly. in a way that can mimic some of those benefits? So like, you know, um, I think pretty much everyone in San Francisco has some sort of Bitcoin interest right now. It just seems like it. But it's funny, like when you maybe when this goes out, everyone's already like they're super excited. Everyone, it's back up everyone's kind of like going up and going yeah. down, and we're all experiencing these these emotions. Right. And even if you're not in it, like I even know people who don't invest in it, and they're they're experiencing the emotions because they're just angry that everyone's interested in this, right? Yeah. But the people who are in it, like, there's it would it would be really great if we could figure out how to not let the wild volatility of this market affect us physiologically. Right. And I think that like the key is meditation. The key is like really training your body to just, to just take that space between perception and reaction and learn to decide how you're going to react right. instead of just reacting. But unfortunately, like it's just so commonplace to be a reactive person. And if you look at Trump, like the man is so ADD. Yeah, he's is, like pure reaction. He's pure reaction. Yeah, yeah. He's pure ego. Yeah. And he's and he doesn't have any any space between perception and reaction. I've heard that he can only read like one page at a time and it has to have his name on it multiple times. Yeah, to like get his attention. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. that's a great symptom of the country's problems. Like like the man who's leading the country has no attention span. Yeah. Like neither do all the kids in the country. Like yeah. we all if we all just took a step back and like really slowed down our lives and really just spent more time in contemplation. Um, we'd probably be much better at all the things that we do. I agree. I mean, I think talking about the 2018 interests, I mean, I think I've, I've, uh, yeah, shut down all my notifications on the phone. I've turned wow. my screen from like color to like black and white. Oh my so God. It's, that's like, so less... hard. I can't, I've done it and I can't handle it. Well, cause it's too, too boring too. like, it too... just makes me sad. I'm just like, <sighs> like why? <laughs> I want my colorful, expensive I phone. I want yeah. I bought this phone to see the colors. Yeah. I mean, but I think it, I think it is just like, you know, how do you set up yourself in a way to like distract yourself less? I think, I think you're absolutely right. How do you think more deeply on fewer things? Well, yeah, it's, it, there's, there's this great book called the disciplined pursuit of less. Yeah. And then there was a big article in the wall street journal a few days ago, all about by doing fewer things, we are actually going to be more successful. Yeah. And it's taking me years to figure this out. But like one of my big goals over this year, like you're asking me all the things I'm involved with is like frankly, like I'm doing too many things yeah, as it is, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I'm like, you know, I've been approached by TV studios to like do shows and I'm just like, I can't do it all. Like neither, <laughs> or I'm not going to do it all well. Right. So I'm trying to figure out like what of all the things that I get to do, which I'm now in a really great position to like be able to decide what I do with my time pretty much all the time. Um, it's like, what do I really, really want to do? And what does the world really need right now? Yeah. And like, the world really needs to calm down, 
nourish themselves and connect with each other way more. And so like one of my big priorities is just like seeing my family more often, you know, like that's to me, like really cultivating my friendships and my relationships. Like that's the bit that, that was of all the things that were stressful last year. Um, I moved a couple of times and moving is just like one of the most stressful things you can do. Right. But, um, but like having support from family and friends and community is like, so important. It's like the most valuable thing you can create. Yeah. You know, so they say your network is your net worth. And so what I'm really working on right now is how do I cultivate deeper relationships with fewer people and really make those matter? Because yeah. like at the end of your life, you're going to look back at all your success and it's like not going to matter. It's the people that you right. lived with, you know? 100%. I mean, I think I want to almost leave it at that because it's, I mean, I think that's like a perfect point to end the conversation. But I mean, I think there sounds like there's a lot of things that we should check back in on. Yeah, sure. So like in the next few months, when, when some of these things, you know, get get sorted out and they're underway. And as you spin up new new initiatives and threads, I'll have to like just keep keep track and, and, and follow along, along the ride here. Oh, yeah. And I'm so in and doing some biohacking around the ketones. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. And as always, uh, enjoy all the questions and, and, and requests for different guests. We always appreciate that feedback. And as always, if you like the uh, episode, please give us high ratings on your different platform. You can subscribe on YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Play. Thanks so much.